Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Welcome back to the At Work in America show. We have a great show today, Trish. We are going to be talking about menopause. I can't believe, Trish, in 14 years of doing this show, I don't believe we've ever talked about this subject. Do you remember us ever talking about it before? No, not that specifically. I think we've talked about women's issues, you know, many times and certainly um, maybe certain components that could be part of menopause, but never just a whole show dedicated to it. So I'm actually really excited that we're going to. I am as well. It's an important topic. I have learned a lot already in the prep for the show, and I'm sure we're going to all learn a lot more once we uh, welcome our guest to the show here in a second. Before we welcome her, Trish, I want to thank our friends at Paychex. This episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. After years of being in survival mode amidst a global pandemic, HR leaders have been challenged to get back to business ushering in the era of a dynamic workplace. In the seventh annual Pulse of HR report, you can find out how these leaders are optimizing the work experience, regardless of where it's done, addressing widening generational gaps and increasing productivity, not just for their employees, but also themselves. Please visit paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A to check out the Pulse of HR report today. And uh, I really do encourage folks to do that. It's a great report. All right, let's welcome our guest, Trish. Our guest is Shelly McConnell. She is a femtech strategist, a women's health proponent, diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate, and employee benefits expert, and is currently the chief strategy officer for WIN, W-I-N. In that capacity, she is responsible for developing WIN's business strategy, including innovation, alignment with external branding, communications, marketing, operations, panel partners, product, partnerships, and acquisitions. And she most recently served as Senior Vice President at Aon. Shelly has more than 25 years experience in benefits consulting. Welcome, Shelly, to the show. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, Steve and Trish for having me. Excited to talk about menopause today. Yeah. I mean, we would love to just maybe dive into a little bit of your story and how you know, how that that diverse, uh, wealthy background has turned into sort of, you know, being an expert when it comes to talking about some of these specific issues that impact women in the workplace, because these are things that, at least in my almost 30 years of, of being in the workforce, are things we've not really talked about at work. So could you maybe just give us some background on on yourself and how that came to be of interest to you? Yeah, happy to. And I will also say that in my 25, nearly 30 years, it often has did not come up either. So I think these things factor in together. But um, my background was helping employers, large and jumbo employers design their benefit programs for employees. And in that capacity, as um, family building in particular came to prominence, I developed an expertise in that to help our clients across the country in strategizing around their programs and building it. And at the same time, 
course, that the Venn diagram overlaps very strongly to diversity, equity, inclusion. But of course, there's a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion that is not included in family building. So um, I also have uh, an interest in diversity, equity, inclusion across all definitions and um, bringing understanding and equity to our employee benefit programs that employers are offering. And many of these disparities have been invisible to employers. And so bringing light to some of these to help organizations become more effective um, and to create more inclusive cultures is, uh, is a passion project. And, uh, and of course, uh, so is Femtech. So um, that is some of what leads me to be here today. Um, but I, I recall the first time that a coworker told me during a meeting that she was having a hot flash and needed to take a break. And it was shocking. I'd never heard anyone talk about it. I'd never heard anyone say it in the workplace. I've begun to hear it a little bit more, but it's still something people don't talk about. And, you know, even the small impact of people who, even as we've moved more to a video environment, a woman having a hot flash during a video call where it's up close and personal is uh, is an interesting issue and something I think sometimes people aren't sensitive to in part because they're not aware of it. We don't talk about it just as a small example, but I agree with you. It has been uh, largely undiscussed and that is uh, part of the problem that we're helping to try to solve. I really appreciate sort of your your perspective on on just how we're thinking about this. And one thing, maybe even before we dive in, because I know we've got lots of different sort of facts and figures to share around this topic, but I'd be really curious just to hear your perspective on, you know, as as a woman growing up, my mother never talked about menopause or really any sort of, you know, um, feminine related needs. And I don't think her mother talked with her. Do you think that that is something that's quite common? And maybe that's why we're, we're not even as, as women going through different phases of our life that we're sort of holding it in maybe because we've not been talked to, or is there another reason maybe underlying that we need to get to first? I think there, I think that is one of them, certainly. And I think there are a few other cultural things um, as well. Uh, I think um, uh, your upbringing and the fact that we just didn't talk about things in any great detail, which is changing in our younger generations with our children and others who are much more open talking about almost everything. And I, so I think that the world is changing in part with younger generations. But we also have, um, I think, left some of our true selves out of our work. And so if this didn't come at, a, at home, it certainly was not discussed at work, where I think there's just more gender neutrality and things that are gender specific are not always welcomed or discussed at work another trend that I think is changing. And then just culturally, there's, I think there's a stigma to it. And there is a negativity to the idea that someone is getting older, right? We are very youth centric, but also it's almost insulting to a person that they are not as um, like their fertility and their youth um, is past is something that as a culture, there are some underlying negativities about. 
Again, I think this is beginning to change, right? As we see people who have a lot of social influence and we see Oprah and Michelle Obama and some of our media stars um, talking about this openly, it begins to change the dialogue. And that is what I think we are seeing in in this transition. And there are a lot of business impacts too that I think we'll get to, but just culturally, there's been a lot that has kept us quiet and not discussed personally or at work. Shelly, thank you. And I think there's a really interesting kind of intersection, right? Because I think I'm, I am sort of thinking about this through my own lens a little bit, but I, I, I am, I think, I think it's important because I sort of fit the profile, I believe, of <laughs> the corporate middle-aged guy who, much like Trish mentioned, right, didn't have a lot of conversations about this growing up. I'm guessing I had fewer even than you did, Trish. I had, I think, all all, <laughs> right. all of maybe zero, right? Mm-hmm. And so honestly, knew almost still to this day, and I'm not sort of proud, I'm not proud to admit this, know almost nothing about this until prepping for this show, right, in the last mm-hmm. couple of days, and since I knew we were going to do it, and I still know almost nothing, right? But I'm that profile in many organizations, right, of that organizational leader or that VP or that CEO or that business owner who's got lots of folks on the staff, lots of women who are being impacted by this. And I, as a leader, I, as a person, don't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so mm-hmm. ignorant, and I think that's a problem in it in itself, Shelly, I'd love for you to maybe give us a little context around the breadth of the problem. Because like I said, as a guy growing up in this country anyway, I knew not, I, I, I have no comprehension of it. And, and not just those of us who are just living in the world, but also our provider community. So, um, yeah. you know, too many women are facing what is a frustrating search for menopause care. And many women don't even know that it's available. So this kind of lack of research and funding and specialized training in the market has led to women being misdiagnosed, untreated, underserved, just from a healthcare standpoint, forget about bringing it into the workplace. So the AARP did a study and um, it showed that 80% of graduating internal medicine residents. So those are the people who provide often adult primary care. Uh, Don't feel confident to treat or even discuss menopause. Um, And when you look at OBGYNs specifically, about 20% of residency programs offer menopause training. And even then it's not necessarily mandatory. So when you hear that half of US OBGYN residents felt like they needed more education on at least medication um, and patients say it's much more than that. <laughs> um, it would say it's much more than 50% that need additional education. People are not feeling heard and seen and like they are getting the appropriate care. So a Yale study showed that 75% of women who seek help for significant menopause symptoms, don't receive it. 75% seek it, of those that seek it, do not receive it. These are very significant numbers and really show an opportunity um, for our, our healthcare and the programs that surround it to do better. 
Yeah, I, it's such a large number. It's shocking in, in one aspect, but then it's also not shocking, right? Because I think too, just as someone who's gone through it, um, and, and to Steve, to your point, men aren't taught about this. Women aren't taught about this. We we don't really know what we're even going through when we're starting to go through it often. Mm -hmm. yes. um, you'll talk to your friends and they're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're in it, maybe we're not, right? You kind of know about the age, maybe, but it, it does feel very isolating. Um, and and kind of just reading, even prior to, to this show prep, it was like, you know, women were often thought of as being hysterical. They were prescribed as being hysterical, right? When when they would have, whether it's hot flashes or mood changes, or, you know, I had, I went through a phase of vertigo and it turns mm -hmm. out that's very common going through menopause. I didn't know. I thought, mm -hmm. it, I thought I had a brain tumor, right? So like, I mean, this is modern day and yet we have highly educated, even women who don't know what, even makes up this I don't is it a, is it considered a disease a condition no, like I don't even just it's not a disease but it right? certainly is you know a stage that can last a long time right this can be a 10 year or more period of time where you will be transitioning into it so you're in perimenopause and then you go into menopause right. which will be you know for the postmenopausal for the rest of your life so it's a, a big time frame as well and what you're talking about this kind of symptomology where you might have people often have a heart palpitations mm -hmm. they think they have a heart condition they're off to a cardiologist right. and Maybe that cardiologist identifies it as being part of menopause and maybe not. Maybe you go through a bunch of testing, um, et cetera. There are many different symptoms that people are completely una unaware of. Um, it, if you think about it, menopause is, you know, a hormonal change. And as estrogen decreases in perimenopause and menopause, estrogen has an anti-inflammatory impact. And so inflammation in the body can increase and lead to joint pain, can lead to congenital bone issues that never bothered someone now coming to light. It's not just wear and weight and other things that people talk about. It is the, in, the inflammatory impact. Um, so um, people understanding this and getting to the right treatments more quickly are helpful to them, to a workplace, to a cost standpoint, um, all of these things. And when you think about musculoskeletal, if you've gone into the doctor because of particular pains, um, it's not often that there's a correlation made to, to menopause and perimenopause in the treatment of those conditions. So there's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah. Although I admit, I have never really thought about addressing this as a workplace issue. So mm -hmm. I am glad that you're both helping to educate Steve and I and, and the listeners, but also to maybe even start thinking creatively about what we as business leaders can be doing to help. Because again, I'm thinking like, I, I'll just give Steve a shout out. Like Steve is like the best business partner because I, I literally could tell him anything. Um, but I I don't. I don't always tell him if I was having vertigo or hot flashes or whatever, right? All the things. Not that he wouldn't be supportive, but it's just you sometimes don't even know what you need yourself. That's so right. mm -hmm. I guess my question around that would be, what are some of the things that you recommend or you're seeing companies do 
that they can be doing proactively to offer support to women going through both perimenopause and menopause who may not even know that they're going through it or what they need. Mm-hmm. I I would suggest thinking about this in a number of ways. And one of them would be, how do we support this population through our benefits? And so doing a real audit of your benefits to identify where there's an opportunity to be more inclusive of treatment for menopause symptoms and making sure that people have access. So one of the things we've done at WIN is to, you know, building this um, capability for nurses to support people in education and self-advocacy as they go through this process. And then also, how do they find a provider that is um, menopause competent? and sensitive and understanding and finding those providers um, can be a barrier to care for people. Or like we talked about going to care and being, having your symptoms be ignored or written off um, and not treated as necessary um, or as, as well as could be is a significant issue. So this kind of knowing understanding, self-advocating, and knowing what exists out in the marketplace are important components. And all of that kind of fits under a benefits plan structure. Um, But there are a lot of things that you can be doing culturally as an organization. So um, I would suggest um, communities. You know, many organizations have employee resource groups or employee affinity groups. They go by many different names, but they are uh, people who are going through uh, perhaps same circumstances in life and um, having someone to support this population to talk to one another and to learn from one another would be, um, I think, an amazing resource to people in the in your workforce, but also a great demonstration of how you value women who are contributing to the organization. Um, There are some studies showing uh, how uh, employees would be very interested in employers that show support, that actively demonstrate support for this phase and these symptoms and this long period of life, particularly because perimenopause and menopause strike at a time where women are contributing the most in the workforce. It's very significant contribution, even at the highest levels of an organization. And to lose people and their talent, that's that's um, that's a problem. We really want to retain talent. Organizations want to retain this talent and also have them be able to perform at their best and at their peak. Um, so communities, even supported by someone at top levels, women at top levels, maybe not just women, um, I would say is another great ad. And there might be some manager training involved in this. How do we support people? How do we um, recognize some diverse issues that people may be going through that you yourself are not going through? So leaders who, in that example, I gave somebody who didn't want to be on video because they were having hot flashes. Leaders who are respectful of people who opt to not be on video in a phone call, right? A lot of very high level leaders want people on video all the time. And 
let's understand that there may be some medical circumstances where someone does not want to be. So this kind of, how can we support managers? Um, how can we support the community of people? And then how, from a benefit standpoint, do we support people as well? I'd probably put it into those three categories. Kelly, thank you for that. Uh, I think that those are great uh, points and great recommendations. And I think one of the things I wanted to make sure we touched upon, um, even if just briefly, is, and you, you mentioned it, right, that this is hitting at the life stage where you are at your peak potentially in your career, right? Mm-hmm. You're contributing the most, you've achieved great success, worked hard for X number of years, 20 plus years, most likely, right? 20 years uh, mm-hmm. or so you're running groups, you're running business units, you're running organizations, et cetera. And all of a sudden now you're having uh, having some issues. And I feel like it's just undersold or underreported. Like the numbers of folks this is impacting and, and at their sort of prime. And um, there's some stats we have in the notes that, you know, almost almost all women, it's literally says 99% of women feel menopause symptoms have negatively affected their career and 59% of women have taken time off due to these symptoms. And I, I feel like we're just, again, I say I'm ignorant and I'm just, I, but I don't think I'm ignorant. I think I'm typical guy, honestly. And it's not just I'm typical shocked. guy, you might, and women don't know either. I'm so shocked no. by this. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to just maybe talk about this a little bit more in terms of, hey, I hate to say this, but so many leaders, right, don't want to don't want to do the right thing. <laughs> they only want to do the thing mm-hmm. that's good for business. Fine, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's yeah. part of the game we're playing here in capitalist America. But maybe, maybe, Michelle, let's talk just a little bit about the, the true business impacts and, and the benefits to the organizational performance by really taking these issues seriously. Uh, lack of menopause care is a healthcare issue, but it is also a business issue period. Yeah. Um, when you see the statistics of how many people report that their work and productivity is impacted by menopause symptoms. So it was an AARP study and it showed that women 50 to 65, 40% of them said it impacted them at least once a week, 20% every day, if not multiple times a day. And that's for people who are 50 to 65, that leaves off a decade and a half or more of people who are experiencing perimenopause symptoms. So the impact on people is pretty significant. Um, And many people, like you said, um, are juggling even understanding what is happening. They may not even understand that it is menopause. And then how do we treat menopause um, versus trying to treat all these different symptoms that are coming up? you know, there's a there's a big difference between HR thinking they support menopause and employees who do not have the same perception. There is a gap um, for certain. And studies have shown that the majority of people do not feel comfortable discussing this at work. So this has a significant business impact. And let's even put aside like the business opportunity that exists in the marketplace, but for employers, Um, This has a business impact and many people aren't telling you. It's silent. They are not telling you. So um, there is an opportunity for businesses to create, to put light on this and to create the 
opening to talk about this and understand what the impact is so we can make this better and help people get the right treatment and be at their peak and bring their best to work. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that just even listening to you talk and and again, I I've pretty much been through this, but like you're talking about things like inflammation, I'm thinking like I didn't know that was part of this, right? So, right? Steve, to your point, Steve, to your point, women don't know it either necessarily. I think that if I were if I were any leader, male, female, does not matter. Um, I think and not just about menopause, but back to your earliest statement where you're talking about this really being a way to be inclusive in your work environment. Mm -hmm. I think just being a leader, even if you don't know, you're not doing anything intentional to hurt or harm or further the company uh, and not care about your employees. I think if you are just the type of leader who says, um, hey, if you are in whatever phase of your life, maybe you're trying to start a family, maybe you're entering menopause, maybe you're doing some, maybe you're going through some sort of a medical issue that you are not comfortable sharing. I want you to know that I am here to support you in whatever way you need. I am open to a discussion because I don't know what I don't know. I think if you even just said something as simple as that, you might find that your employees would at least start to verbalize, hopefully, when they're when they're having a tough day, because I think sometimes we feel like sharing our what we perceive as weaknesses could lead to something punitive against us, not just being not included, but truly punitive. So I think you have to just turn the tables and and maybe just be very generically open. And I think that's a great right? point, Trish. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. that we're being inclusive and we're open. And even that, even if someone doesn't choose to talk about it, if they think that is genuine, that is an important component of a corporate culture. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever, I've had male bosses, female bosses. I, again, Steve, I know I could call him if I said like, oh my gosh, I'm having a hot flash. I can't talk right now, right? He would not. But, but we don't do that. So again, I think there's also some responsibility on the female to say, I'm, I'm dealing with something today and I don't really want to go into all the details, but I might need a minute or 30 minutes or whatever, right? To sort of sift through, because it is very emotional. Sometimes I just cry for no reason. I, you know, that's just like what it is, right? Like sometimes our emotions are, are driven by our hormones. So it doesn't mean anything's wrong per se, it's just, you might need a minute, right? So that's very yeah. hard to bring into the workplace, I think. Very yeah, I hard because for many people who have kind of fought or felt like they've fought to climb a corporate ladder or to break a glass ceiling, et cetera, you're now bringing things in that may fit a stereotype that you've tried to avoid, uh, right. that you have tried to avoid. Um, so I can see and certainly understand why talking about this um, may not just feel uncomfortable, but may lead to or feel like it leads to a lack of opportunity, a lack of advancement, a lack of uh, progression, perhaps in in an organization. And so perhaps that's why it's important for people at the highest levels to um, to voice these messages as a as a trickle down. Yeah, I think that I'm, as I've been listening, Shelley, to you and, and Trish as well, I feel I wrote down a note here. I feel like there's a lot of um, uh, similarities to many of the conversations we've had in the last few years around mental health in the workplace. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. it, it, very sure. similar in terms of 
It's a bigger problem than anyone really cared to think about or admit or recognize. There was often a stigma about having the conversation in the workplace at all, reluctance mm -hmm. to admit perhaps you were having an issue yeah. uh, with mental health, uh, similar to Shelley, what you said uh, here. And, and, and also even on the benefits side, right, where employees may not have had access uh, to the support that they needed or knowledge of where to find that access, even if it existed. And, and that has been changing, right? We, the mental health in the workplace conversation has been happening now uh, much more over the last number of years through, through maybe some of that was pandemic driven. I don't know, but I feel a lot of equivalence here. Um, I, I definitely see the correlations too, Steve. Yeah. And just to mention, mental health is a component of menopause, actually. And for some people who go on, uh, you know, mood altering medications because of what is happening to them might actually be served being on a hormone replacement therapy, which might help with more of the symptoms that they are addressing. But that's not even something that people necessarily know. Yeah, I, I think that's fascinating. And I just I want to throw out one more thing. And then, mm -hmm. then I kind of want to talk a little bit, Shelly, give you the chance to talk a little bit about when and some of the services that you provide a little more concretely, right, to employers for them to think about how they can better support their employees. But I, I, I'm, again, a dumb guy here, never had conversations about this. Certainly my mom and I never discussed this, right? So um, I just think menopause equal hot flash. That's literally the only mm -hmm. thing I ever had in my dumb little yeah. ape man brain. Mm -hmm. And I was looking uh, before the show and uh, there was a really big study I, I read about that had hot flash is only the number five most reported symptom, right? So there's all kinds of other things like body composition and weight issues, brain fog and memory issues, moodiness and anxiety, uh, trouble sleeping. And then, then hot flash was number five. And this was like 22,000 people uh, surveyed. So I think, and the, why I bring that up was the person who shared that with me pointed out that those other first four symptoms, right, are often the ones we tell people, even doctors tell people, oh, just you're fine. Go get over it. Go get a good night's sleep. Go take a warm bath and you'll be yeah. fine. Like, you know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. and, and similar to the mental health thing, right? If someone's anxious or depressed or feeling down, we say, oh, go cheer up, go do this, mm -hmm. go, you know, go watch the sunset. You'll feel better kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Those fake kinds of treatments. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. And I maybe you know, I'm speaking to the men in the audience specifically at this point. Now, I think the women all know this, but um, uh, I just wanted to share that uh, as well. Yeah, but I learned tonight. Yeah. You know, though, Steve, I, it's, you mentioned sort of the mental health thing. And it, it made me think like, you know, if you're on TikTok or any of sort of the social channels, there's a lot of joking, I think that goes on about, you know, if you're a Gen Xer, like many leaders, of today's workforce, um, you know, when we were growing up, there was no such thing as anxiety. Your mom was like, get out of the house, go play, right? You couldn't, you could never address anything really. So we kind of poke fun at ourselves if we're in this sort of age range of maybe say 40 to 55 or 60-ish, right? And, and thinking like, we didn't, the truth is we didn't have examples necessarily culturally from our families teaching us how to not only care for ourselves but be caring for others because we were constantly we were just constantly told that our feelings what we were experiencing were not happening you're not anxious get outside and go play you're not feeling sad go out and like you said watch a sunset watch a sunrise right do something so i just wonder too though i think we need to also 
be a little gentle on ourselves as leaders and and be kind to ourselves because we haven't been trained to do this either, right? So we need to seek it out. We may need to, to take some steps to seek it out, but this isn't something that's necessarily intuitive um, that we would know how to care for someone. Again, it's back to you don't know what you don't know. So it is about educating yourself, educating your, your organization. Um, again, my mind is, is spinning, Shelly. I'm thinking of like, what are all of the things you could be doing proactively to help someone going through menopause? Like, I remember I worked in um, Big Four Public Accounting um, a number of years ago, and one of the best things that we had in the kitchen was this huge medicine cabinet. And it, <laughs> you know, again, I was in my 20s, right? Free Tylenol, free Motrin, whatever you need, right? But we thought that was great. We were like, yeah, if we, if, you know, but wouldn't it be nice if you thought about your own workplace and thought, you know what? Maybe you have some um, Dramamine for the people who might be having, um, you know, some sort of vertigo that day because their hormones have suddenly acted up and they're at work and they can't drive themselves home. Like it's like proactively thinking about all the little things or ice packs that someone might be able to take into the women's restroom and and just cool themselves down during a hot flash. Right? I'm just like making this up, obviously, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, in your in your experience working with many companies, have there been any companies that did? I don't know. I almost think of it like um, I get migraines, which my doctor and I have talked about are probably due to menopause, right? Or triggered by menopause. So I have like I call it a migraine kit, right? I have all the things in the little kit and the little bag that I might need to try and help fight a migraine. Mm-hmm. Could there be? Are there companies doing like almost like a a kit of things, if you will? in the workplace to help people deal with menopause symptoms? Uh, Trish, I like the idea. I am not aware of any who are doing it. And I do think that the symptoms are so wide ranging from um, heart palpitations to, you know, migraines to vertigo to almost every system it can be impacted by this that I think there probably hasn't been, but I love the idea of having ice packs in the freezer, in the kitchen. And maybe we brainstorm on some other things that just um, are, again, part of a culture of inclusion and support. Yeah. Um, for instance, there have been um, some wearables that have um, emerged in the marketplace that people can wear overnight and might trigger cooling when it's needed to help with sleep because sleep is one of the major problems. And of course we all know with inadequate sleep um, and inadequate good sleep, it has a lot of different impacts, right? So um, I had heard about it. This is some time ago through some of my work and recommended it to a few people who I knew were going through this experience and their, their feedback was actually quite different. One said, quote, it was life-changing Another said, oh, it didn't help at all. Um, So (laughs) how we respond to things can be really different. But even just the idea of supporting wearables, for instance, in a benefit plan um, and thinking about these different ways that can actually um, help a person and may not be um, may not only not be high cost, but actually maybe reducing the cost to an employer for the right kind of treatment um, to, to actually serve the under the 
underlying cause of symptoms um, as uh, you know. So for instance, in the, in the musculoskeletal example, uh, understanding what is causing those issues instead of going off for physical therapy and MRIs and x-ray, you know, all the things that might come that are expensive in a health plan. If, if you identify what the core issue is, you really can save the plan a lot of money. And so, and not only that, but productivity and helping people to be at their peak, et cetera. So I think there are some ideas around what we could do culturally and what we could weave into a benefit program to, to really help people with small things and big things. Yeah. I love, I love the that connection. I love that connection too, because as someone who's been, you know, a benefit administrator myself and helping select the plans and policies for an organization, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a, middle-aged woman. I wasn't doing that specifically. So yes, I think it's a good way to challenge those HR leaders or CEOs, you know, CFOs who are making these decisions about benefit plans to offer and seek it out. And maybe it doesn't exist in the plan that you're working with, but maybe you're asking about it will be the catalyst for benefits providers to start thinking about it more too. And, and maybe it does exist. And putting it into a package that wow. says, from a marketing standpoint, are you experiencing this? Here are things we offer to help you that you might not know about by reading a benefits enrollment guide or looking at other things. It may not be apparent the support that an employer offers. So kind of packaging it up as a little marketing program um, could really also be effective. So this audit of your programs to see where you may already offer something, or maybe you could add something, um, really could be effective. Yeah. I love so all these things. I think, yeah, this has been so interesting for me. And I'm glad, uh, I'm certainly glad we, um, I'm sad we waited 14 years to talk about this on the show, but I'm glad we are talking about <laughs> it today. Uh, I expect we'll co come back to the topic again too, but I guess the last thing would be just, if you could take a minute, Shelly, and uh, share a little bit about how WIN works with employers to help with some of these issues more directly, as well as a little bit more broadly. I know WIN provides a lot of services uh, in the benefits domain for, yes. for employers that they can take advantage of. I'd love to maybe uh, give you a minute or two to talk about that. Thank you. You're happy to. So WIN, WIN Fertility is the nation's leading family building and fertility benefit management company. Um, we offer solutions to employers as part of an employee benefit program directly to health plans and also to consumers um, to help people start and grow a family. So we guide patients and partners through a range of family building um, options like preconception support. Maybe someone is going through IVF, um, the medication, the medical services that go through uh, that are associated with IVF and advanced fertility treatments. Also surrogacy and adoption, fertility preservation, which has been growing in popularity, um, you know, uh, fr freezing and storing uh, material for later use. Um, and then among other things and perimenopause and menopause. In fact, we find that people who are going through the family building process, that Venn diagram can overlap very significantly with perimenopause. And so that has kind of created the opportunity to think about this as overlapping and helping people 
um, understand their underlying health and how that is impacting their fertility. But we also are expanding that to be able to help not just with perimenopause for people who are going through family building, but also other people in the population, people who may be in menopause, approaching menopause, but aren't building their families or already built a family, et cetera. People who may be in an induced menopause state because of <clears throat> surgeries like a hysterectomy, et cetera. Um, so we're building um, a solution that, um, or have built a solution that uses our nurses to help guide people through the process. And like I mentioned before, um, become self-advocates, understand what is going on, how to select a provider, et cetera. And then we also have partnerships with some networks that are vetted and trained in menopause specifically, and that then could be covered with virtual care under an employer's health plan. And the idea of that virtual care, of course, is because it's giving people access more broadly. And if they live in an area where there is a deficit or desert, um, they can still access the care, um, even from those locations. So, you know, that that is... Um, the premise of what we're doing. And, you know, in our 25 history, 25 year history, we've helped, you know, more than 400,000 families awesome. um, build their families and have access to kind of the best doctors and technology and support. And that's the idea that we bring to menopause yeah. and perimenopause. I love it. I, I'm thank you, Shelly, for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you for the, helping us understand more, you know, maybe even Trish too learned a little more about this topic. Absolutely. I have you say, how about that? And Trish, well, I just want to look for normalizing it, Shelley. I think what you're talking about is really making it make sense to normalize the discussion and then the practice around addressing, mm -hmm. you know, women's health issues. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Awesome oh, stuff. Um, okay. Glad to be here. So I want to thank Shelley McConnell from Win Fertility for taking the time to join us today. I think maybe we'll even have to revisit this topic, Trish, down the road a little bit. Because I feel like we talked about a lot of issues and, and there's still some things maybe even left on the table. But mm -hmm. uh, you can learn more about Win Fertility, winfertility.com. Uh, you will put the link to that in the show notes as well. And Shelly, it's been great to meet you and great to have this conversation. I swear we spent 40 minutes together. This is I, I've now spent 38 minutes longer talking about menopause, <laughs> probably my entire life, than I had up until today. <laughs> just a couple of minutes. That's great. And, and, Thanks but for I the feel better for me. it. And I want more folks to to learn about this, especially, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, especially guys in my position, right, mm -hmm. who, who really should know more about this, what's happening in our companies, what's happening in our families, what's happening with our partners, what's happening with our friends, all of it, right? So um, yeah. let's hope that happens. So uh, Shelly, thanks again. Thank you both. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Thank you. Trish, great stuff. Man, this is really fascinating stuff for me. It is. And thank you, Steve, for just being open and encouraging to other people of, of learning more. I think that it's not, not that we all have to solve the problems for every single person who's going through perimenopause or menopause, but just being able to have that conversation, yeah. I think that would go a long way. So I do appreciate Absolutely. your support as your coworker. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. And I apologize in retrospect, Trish, for all the times <laughs> I was insensitive. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, remember, uh, thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course. 
for all their support. All the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. Winfertility, you can find them at winfertility.com. Thanks to Shelly. Thank you, Trish. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you the next time. And bye for now.